You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Father, you are worthy. You are our Lord. You are our God, and you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so, Lord, we lift up your name. We give you the glory. We bow to you because you alone are awesome. You alone are the creator. You are the sustainer. You are everything that we need. And so, Lord, as we open your word today, guide our hearts. Make us willing listeners. Desire us to know and grow in you more and more every day. And Lord, today we want to pray for a couple of other things. We want to pray for our students who are away. They're probably getting ready for a chapel time they will have on their retreat right now. And God, we're asking that you would do a work in their lives as you would do here, that the only way we can explain it is, God, you are doing it. And so, Lord, would you please, please, God, would you do that work and and do it for your glory. And then, Lord, we want to pray today for uh, uh, Daniel and Mandy Meyer as they are in London, Ontario with her dad. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, watch over them. Father, our understanding is that uh, yesterday he had a stroke. And um, we're asking, Lord, that you would protect him. Father, that you would uh, strengthen his body. Lord, the doctors have done what the doctors can do. But the reality is, Lord, you are the great physician. And so we uh, commit him to your care. We put him into your hands and ask God that you would do a miracle in his recovery that you would watch over Mandy and her sister and her brother and her mom and their extended family, Lord, as they come around him, Lord, that Jesus Christ would be exalted even in this hardship and in this trouble, their eyes would be focused on you. So God, please do that work. Comfort them, we pray, working for your fame and your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Um, Take your seats, and while you're doing that, get your Bibles out and open them up to 1 Thessalonians as we continue in our series entitled Grounded. And today we want to talk about grounded by a godly example. And uh, Paul lays out some things as he tells his story to them that uh, are helpful for them and uh, should be and will be helpful to us as well. Uh, But before we get there, let's just think about it in this context as we think about the way we live and the model that we are and the example we are for people. Have, Have you ever heard anyone say this or have you said it as you were disappointed in someone or hurt by someone and didn't see consistency in their life and and words like this might have come out of your mouth. Why don't you practice what you preach? Why don't you practice what you preach? You talk a great story, but do you live it out in your life? And what we want to see today is how Paul sought to live it out in his life before them as a godly example. Um, Maybe another way you would have heard it said would be a talk is cheap. It's easy to say, but how does that look in your life? As people look at, uh, at you in this past week, they saw you at work, they saw you at home, they saw you in the car coming to church today, you hadn't had enough coffee or enough rest. And if they could really say what was on their heart, they, why don't you just do what you, you, you say? Practice what you preach. And um, Paul in this text is really coming out of a time of hardship. Remember, he's been kicked out of Philippi. And then they've gone down to Thessalonica. They were there for three weeks. And he had to get out of there before he ended up in prison. 
And uh, he was concerned for this church, and so he writes this letter to them. He's hearing good reports, and in, in what we want to look at the text today from the perspective of uh, what was his example? What did he demonstrate for them, and, and then what can we learn uh, from that? So it's found in First Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's stand together. We're going to look at the whole chapter, but I'm just going to read down to the end of verse 6 to start. It says, Therefore you yourselves know, brothers that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we speak, excuse me, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, this, your word that we hold in our hands. And Father, I'm always um, overwhelmed with the reality that Paul sat in Corinth and he wrote this letter to a church, a group of people that he had only known for three weeks, but then had gone on and come back and his care for them and his desire for them. And, but Lord, I'm sure never knowing as he sat in Corinth and wrote this letter to them that we would be a sitting in church today studying it and that you preserved it and protected it and have it for us, that uh, we can uh, learn from it and grow in it. So, Lord, just as you used it in the lives of the Thessalonians, God, use this letter in our lives. It's your word. Use it powerfully for your glory. Give us ears to listen to it and minds to comprehend the truth and what we need to take and do as a result of being here today, Father, that we would live passionately for our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Uh, you can take your seats. Um, Paul's written this letter to the Thessalonians, and last week we saw in their walk they were a people filled with faith and love and hope. We saw that them that they were willing to look around and find godly people to follow after and follow their example and to imitate that. And uh, we need to be finding those people in our lives. Uh, be followers of me, Christ, uh, Paul said. Even as I am of Christ, Christ is the ultimate one we follow. But we see that illustration, that example. We should see it in each other. We follow that imitation. Why? So that we can become examples. And they became examples beyond their own community, but uh, to the regions beyond them, to Macedonia and Achaia. And, um, and so today, as we look in the text, we want to see it from the perspective of, God, of Paul uh, laying out an example for them. This is not a message only about how Paul was an example leading to influence and changed people in Thessalonica. It's equally a message about how God can use you and me to be examples leading to changed lives and the people who are around us. So uh, two major things we want to see from the text today. Uh, here's the first one. We're grounded by a godly example. We see the examples in Paul's character. And we see the example in Paul's um, character. 
as he demonstrates it out in his ministry and he comes back to them. There are just a number of things that he lays out for them. I've chosen seven out of the first uh, six verses of, of principles or things that you can see that uh, came from his life. Um, here's the first one. It was that he was bold. Uh, he was bold. Verse 2 says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Uh, Paul speaks of being bold in the Lord. Now, that wasn't necessarily easy for him. We, we see it and we go, well, that was just Paul. It was just him. He was, he was bold all the time. We're going to see in a minute. No, he often was fearful and he asked for help in that in his life. And, and so before we get too far into that, let's step back and go, what did your boldness, what did your boldness in Christ look like this week? When did you step out of your comfort zone? When did you speak the truth to someone and went against what you would normally do and just kind of saying, well, you know, no, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal. And, and actually talked to someone about the word of God and spoke the truth of God's word because you love them enough to tell them the truth. See, one of the things that Paul had as an example for people to see and follow after was a sense of boldness, a sense of Courage, a sense of courage. The word bold is actually um, around the idea of all speech and um, not restraining, not holding back. But it's not about being arrogant. It's not about being hurtful, but it's about being true. Now we're going to see he comes back to that, but it says here um, in boldness, such boldness wasn't natural for Paul any more than it was natural for any of us. And I said, I tell you, he didn't always feel bold. He didn't always feel courageous. He struggled with these things in his life as well. In 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verse 3, it says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. That's not a picture of a guy that's like, yeah, I've got it all together. I've got it all figured out. That's a guy who was crying out to the Lord and asking people to pray because he wrestled with these things too. But the character trait that he wanted them to see in him was this character trait of boldness. See, there were lots of people that were talking around. Remember, he basically had to get out of Thessalonica because uh, he was going to jail. They were going to arrest him. They were going to get him taken care of. And he had to get out of Dodge, as it were, and uh, because of his boldness. What does your boldness in Christ look like? He says in the text, there's some key words that we need to see here. He says, um, our boldness is in our God. His boldness wasn't in who he was. It wasn't what he thought he was accomplished. He was bold because of what God had done in his life. He had been saved out of darkness on the road to Damascus. He meets the Lord and the light shines and he sees the Lord and he is forever changed and as a result of that, he wants everybody to know what he knows. And therefore, he is he's bold. He asked people to pray for him lots of times. He encouraged people so many different ways. And Ephesians 6.10, kind of a picture of the same thing. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so Paul, although he was given to fear and he was given to struggle, he determined in God, in the relationship he had, in what God was going to do, I'm putting him first. 
I don't care what it costs, I want to be bold before the Lord. And the other guys, remember, who were with him were Silvanus and Timothy. And Timothy also wrestled with this. Paul uh, talked to him and wrote to him in 2 Timothy 1, 6-8. He said, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And so the example he had for these people, the way he wanted to live out, what he wanted to see in them was a sense of boldness. And we need to think about that in our walk. So again, go back to your week and think about the opportunity maybe you had where you cowered instead of taking the opportunity that the Lord had given you and being bold to speak for the Lord. He was bold. Here was the second thing. He was, he was focused on the truth. He was focused on the truth. Uh, for our, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity. Or any attempt to deceive. And so the first part is what we're really driving to here was uh, not sprung from any, from error. Uh, Paul was all about the truth. And he wanted people to know the truth. It's, it's interesting on the news you hear right now, they, there's, well, my truth, or as I understand the truth, or my feelings. It's not what you think the truth is, it's what the truth is. And, and Paul says, what we told you didn't spring from error. It's not, it's not discussable, it's not, it's true. And he was focused on what was true. In Philippians 4, it talks about the things that are true and honorable. Think about these things. And as we get focused in God's word and see the truth, uh, it helps us to identify the error that's all around us. And as they came to know Christ, they were coming to the, oh my goodness, we had it all wrong. And the Lord Jesus Christ came and he suffered for me. And the whole story of the gospel, the word gospel is mentioned more than once in this text. The good news was the truth that they needed to hear. And Paul, as a passion of his life, was a person about the truth. Somebody told me one time, you never have to remember what you said when you tell the truth. You never, you don't have to remember what you say when you tell the truth. When you tell stories, when you embellish things, oh, now you've got to remember, what did I say to that guy? What did I say to that guy? Paul wanted to be about the truth. And that should be a mark in all of us in our lives, whether it's in our business dealings, whether it's in the way we raise our kids. And, but most importantly, as we hold God's word, um, that we be people focused on the truth. He did it with honesty. Um, and not through impure motives or trickery. Look at verse 3 again. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Um, oh, that's the third thing. The third thing, he was focused on purity in his motives. He was focused on purity in his motives. Why am I doing what I'm doing? You see, later on, he's going to have to defend himself in this book. And people were saying things about him and he had to go back at, um, it's interesting in Corinthians, he says, it really matters little what you think. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even really matter what I think. It's really about the glory of God. And, and that's what he's saying here. My, my motives were pure. And are, my, are our motives pure? Are our desires pure? 
And um, that's a growing thing for sure because sometimes there's an overlap because I want the right thing for you, but when I get the right thing for you, I get a blessing that comes out of it. And let's just make sure that our motives are pure in the things that we do, even as he sought to do this uh, before the people. He was focused on purity in the motives, in the reason he did what he did. Was it about the glory of God? Was it about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or was it about his ease in life and how things would work out for him? And say, so we didn't come like that. We came with pure motives. We came so that you could meet Jesus Christ. We came that the gospel could be preached. We came that churches would be planted. That's why we're here. That's why we live on the face of this earth. It's not for our own wealth and our own gain. It's for the working of God and for, and for his glory. Focus on purity and motives. Here's another one. He had a priority of pleasing God. A priority of pleasing God. Look at verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, uh, so we speak not to please man, uh, but to please God who tests our hearts. We're here not to please man, but to please God. I love the uh, words he starts out in that verse when he says, we've been entrusted with the gospel. In Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about how we are his ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. God could have brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world any way he wanted to. Could have written it in, written it in the sky so that it would be clear. Could have brought it with thunderbolts and all the rest of it. And hey, God chose to bring the gospel to people uh, through his son, through the word, and then through the great commission, through us. Through us. What an amazing thing. What an awesome opportunity. What a huge responsibility. Uh, realizing that the end result is always God's work, but he chooses to do that working through us. And then he goes on in the verse to say what we do in preaching the gospel is not to please man, but to please God. Not to please man, but to please God. See, one of the weaknesses of your pastor, ready for this great revelation? I want everybody to like me. I just do. I'm a pretty likable guy. You can't fix ugly, so you got to have something. I just want people to like me. And so one of the great risks of wanting people to like you all the time is to compromise, to not bring all of the truth, to allow them to hear what they want to hear, because I just want you to like me. And I love what Paul says here. We're not here to please man. We're here to please God. One of the great character traits that he lays out for these people is don't be a people pleaser, right? Again, don't be arrogant, don't be proud, don't be hurtful, don't be harsh on the one hand, but don't be a people pleaser. Be, a one, be one who's focused on what would God want in this and allow him to work out the rest of the pieces. And that was a great one for me as I was working this through and thinking about this, that, that the Lord helped me in that to continue to grow in that in my life. Probably coming out of that in verse 5, we see that uh, he was not focused towards flattery, not focused, focused towards flattery, for we never came in words of flattery. 
as you know, nor with a pretext for, for greed. So the first part of this is about flattery. We didn't come We didn't come with words of flattery. The word flattery means excessive and insincere praise, especially that's given to further one's own interests. We didn't come to butter you up. We came to bring the truth. We didn't come to make you look so wonderful. You ever have people come to you like that? And when it's done, it's just like, they're just so thick with all that stuff. Would they just please stop? I know I'm nowhere near that good, so please, please stop. Um, He didn't come with flattery. He didn't come to butter them up. He came to speak the truth. He came to a sincerity. Why? Because flattery's end is really not you, if I'm the one doing it. Flattery's end is really me, because I want something out of this. And I'll build a relationship. I'll say whatever needs to be said. I'll make you look so wonderful that you'll do whatever I want you to do. And Paul goes, we didn't come like that. We didn't come with that kind of a message. We came and we brought you the truth and we brought it in love and we, he wasn't given to flattery and he wasn't focused on greed. That's the the last part of that verse in verse five and as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, nor with a pretext for greed. It wasn't about what he could get out of this. He wasn't trying to get something from them. It wasn't, there was no self-seeking in this It was focused on what they needed and what they want. We're going to see in a moment, he talks about how hard they worked when they were there. Why? Because they weren't in it for themselves. And so hard as we guard our hearts and guard our motives when we do what we do. What's that little piece of it that's really, I hope I get stroked for doing this. I hope somebody notices. I hope, I hope, I hope. And really, there's a selfishness behind that that, We need to guard against and watch carefully and and looking for what are we trying to take out of this? And if I don't get this, then I'm not going to do what uh, I think you want me to do. And all that greed, it just becomes greedy in what we want. And he wasn't in this for gain. He wasn't looking to get uh, money out of them so he could, uh, you know, get a new car and build a three-car garage and have a swimming pool in his backyard. And it wasn't about greed I read this quote this week, I liked it. It said, win souls through the truth, not flattery, and avoid any semblance of taking advantage of brethren for any kind of gain. Um, Wasn't focused on greed. That was the sixth one, and here's the seventh one. He was humble. He sought to be humble before them in verse six. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. That we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. As an apostle of Christ, he could have pulled out his I'm an apostle card and he could have played it and he could have asked for all kinds of things. But he didn't. He humbled himself. Nor did we seek glory from people. Well, if he wasn't seeking glory from people, then who was he seeking glory from? Obviously, he wanted God's well-done, good and faithful servant. He was looking at what he did through the lens of how does this bring glory to God? Now, he was a preacher. He was a full-time in ministry kind of guy. And and so he was crying out, how does this bring glory to God? But it's no different for you. How does what you do every day bring glory to God? to God. You think, I, I, I turn out widgets on an assembly line. How does that bring glory to God? Well, the way you do your job, the example you are to other people, that can bring glory to God. 
How, how God allows you to have this job so that out of the abundance of that, you can serve the Lord in church or you can reach out to your neighbor or, so that you can bring glory to God. But the focus was not so, look what I am doing. The focus is, look what God is doing. Look how he is working. And God help us that we would be more aware of that and more desirous of that in our own lives, in our own walk, without seeking for glory from man. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Don't worry about exalting yourself. You exalt yourself, that's all you're going to get. You let God exalt you in his time. And if his time isn't until we get to heaven, so be it. But I want to live, Lord, help me to live in humility. If you take it all away, Lord, will I, still, will I still worship you? Will I still be about the glory of God and about your faithfulness? And I was reading through, I'm reading through the Bible again this year, and I'm working through Genesis, and I, I see Joseph. And, you know, we have that famous verse at the end of the book where it said, you meant it for evil, but, but uh, God meant it for good. But back, I think it's in chapter 47, he kind of says that already to them. You know, you thought this was all going to be, but God knew all of this. He was in charge of all of it. And God got the glory in his life. And uh, God helping us that we would be humble people looking for the glory of God, focusing back to what is God doing? How is he working? And so as Paul's writing to the people, he's laying out some of these kind of character traits in his own life. Why? So they could follow them, so they could see them, so his example could be something that he could live out before them and then they could learn from and live out before other people. So that's the first thing, some examples of Paul's character. Here's the second thing, the quality of Paul's character. The quality of Paul's character. And uh, there are two things we want to see. He, he was a preacher that was worthy of imitation. And in this text, he, he gives us two pictures. In verses 7 to 10, he gives us the first picture of, of a nursing mother. Um, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because we have become very, you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. And so he starts out in the first part of this verse by uh, talking about this picture of a, of a nursing mother. And I'm not sure how far he intended that picture to go through these verses because then he comes down to another picture in verse 11. And so he starts out this with this picture of a, of a nursing mother, uh, the gentle, the caring. Uh, men don't get this. Uh, we get it because we watch our wives and we see it, but um, of a nursing mom and the care and the love and the passion and the compassion and caring for this little child who when they're sick they can't explain what's going on and mom's trying to figure it out and I, in all of the uh, couples I've ever worked with I've, I've never had a dad come to me and go I think I'm failing as a father with a little baby I've had lots of moms who go, I don't think I get it I don't think I'm doing a good job and I'm yeah, you're doing a great job. The fact we're having this conversation talks about your care and your compassion and your love. And um, when, you know, the baby's up at one and three and five and, and at three o'clock, mom's like, dad, you go. 
And he goes, and like five minutes later, he's back. She's crying, I can't fix this problem. And uh, he's back in bed sleeping, and there she is caring for this child. As a mom, nursing mom cares for her child. See, that's the picture that Paul wants them to understand about his care for them. But church, that's the picture he wants us to understand about our care for each other. That picture of care, that picture of love, that picture of compassion before them, his affection for them. He was a preacher who loved the people, and he joyfully sacrificed for them, just as a mom sacrifices so much for that little infant. That's what he was going for. Picture he gives in the text is laboring night and day, laboring night and day. Um, I know very little about being a nursing mother, thankfully. But here's what I know for sure. It's not a nine-to-five job. It's not like, yep, put the baby to bed at five, we'll get up at nine, and we'll start again, and at five we'll put them. There's just enough nursing mothers in the room right now are just like, yeah, is that ever true? We labored for you night and day. And so that picture of a, of a mom and her consistency and never giving up and even to the point of exhaustion but never giving up. Why? Because of the love for that little baby. And, and Paul's like, uh, yeah, we don't give up for you. We labored night and day for you. That was our heart. That was his passion for other believers. And, and so what does that look like for us as we, we have our job? See, the reality is he talks about in this text how we, we didn't take anything from you. Uh, we labored night and day, not taking anything. So Paul went out and while he was there, he had a job on the side. He was probably making tents. That's what he did. He was a tent maker. So he's making these tents and he's doing that nine to five so that he can pour his life out for people the rest of the time. And although we could have, as apostles, we could have pulled out the apostle card and go, you need to pay for this. Um, it's not wrong. It's not wrong to be in ministry. It's not wrong to be paid for being in ministry. The picture, though, that he wants them to have is the sacrifice that he was making for them. They labored night and day. His commitment wasn't just one of convenience. His commitment was one of sacrifice and willing to go above and beyond for the glory of God. And then he gives a couple more pictures. He said how we were holy were devout and how we were righteous and just and how we were blameless. Um, the word holy means to be separated or set apart. And his eyes, the picture of him is like, we were set up. I'm set apart for the gospel. He talks about that. I'm set apart for the working of God. I'm set apart from the world to do the things that God's called me to. That, that's the picture that he wanted to give of, of this caring, compassionate person, how, how they were set apart. And then how also, not just that they were set apart, but their lives were righteous and they were just in what they were doing. And then I like this word, that word, they, they were blameless. It was the picture that, so that no one could point the finger at them and said, why, if that's what a Christian's like, I don't want to be one. Or why don't you practice what you preach? Or why don't you do what you say? Or why are you, he said, no, 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 no. Our passion for you is that no one could ever point a finger at us and say that to us. And I pray that would be the heart of us as believers, that no one would ever point a finger at you and say, if that's what a Christian's like, I don't ever want to be like that. Now, if they're doing it because of your righteousness, and they're saying that Jesus is everything, I don't want to have anything to do with that. That's not about you. That's about the working of God. 
But he wanted a life that no one could point a finger at. Is your life in such a way that no one could walk in and point a finger at it? Point a finger at it in your workplace. Point a finger at it in your school. Point a finger at it in your neighbor who watches you over the fence. Blameless. Blameless. Not perfect, but growing up in Christ. Not what I used to be. Not even yet what I will be. But I'm becoming more like Christ every day. That's what he desired. It was this picture of caring and compassion like of a nursing mother. And then he goes on and he gives a second picture in verses 11 and 12. And that's of a father. For you know how like a father with his children. Well, how? Well, he gives three things. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and and into glory. Uh, Paul was concerned about their walk, and he says three things that a father should be doing. It's not everything a father should be doing, but there are three things, and we'll come back to those in just a second, but as he's talking about them, the reality is he was concerned about their walk. He was concerned about these baby Christians. He was concerned for his children, just as parents should be concerned for their children. You shouldn't be worried that much about whether your kid makes the baseball team or whether they can play hockey, or whether they play the violin better than the next kid in their classroom, or whether their math score is an A+. Those are fine things. They're not bad things, but they're not the most important thing. And sometimes we get the priorities all messed up, and those become the most important thing, and their walk in Christ becomes secondary. Um, I was talking to Mark uh, last night. He was telling us about one of the dads uh, who's uh, in our church who was uh, praying for their uh, student who's away on the retreat and, and praying that God would do a work in their life. Just in the sanctifying of them, God would do a work in their life. That's, that's awesome. That's what God wants. That's what he desires. That's what you should be praying for your kids. The other things are fine. The other things aren't a bad thing, but they're not the most important thing. The most important thing for them was their walk. Um, you've heard me say this before. Sue and I, in our prayer time at night, and we pray for our family. That's the picture here. We pray for our family. Um, you don't get into that prayer time unless there's something significant going on in your life way beyond what's normal. Sorry, that's not the time we pray for you. We pray for our family during that time. Now, last night, uh, Mandy and her dad, they snuck into our prayer time last night because of the crisis that they're in. But the picture of this is we pray for our kids during that time. We have two kids who love the Lord. I am so blessed to have that. And we pray for them every night, and we pray for their spouses every night, and we pray for their kids every night, and we name them by name. Why? Because they're our family. And we want to we pray to God that they would walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. And so we cry out for that every day for our family. We don't ever not do that. Uh, Sue was praying uh, the other night when she was praying for them. And um, three, two, we have five grandchildren and, and uh, two of them have made a profession of faith that we know of, and we pray for their walk with the Lord and their growing up in Christ. And, and three of them haven't yet that we know of. Um, and so we pray for them that they would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They would transfer their trust and put their trust in Jesus Christ. We, we pray for them. 
We pray for them by name. We pray for them that God would take them. When she was praying the other night, what God would do and develop them in their walk, in their walk with the Lord. Do we want them to have a good education? Sure. Do we want them to, to uh, get involved in things? And Sure. But what we really want is for them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And uh, that's what Paul was into. That's what he was excited. So when the fathers, he said, hey, dads, here's three things for you to do. Exhort your children, encourage your children, and charge your children. Those are the words right in the text. I make those up. And so that idea of exhorting them is to uh, spur them on, to push them forward, to challenge, to, to um, motivate them, to give them a passion for things. Exhort them. And then the second thing he says is encourage them. Encourage them. My dad loved us. There's no doubt about it. My dad loved the Lord. My dad loved us. But this wasn't his strength. This was, just wasn't his thing. He took care of our family. He did everything he could. He made sure we got to church. All those things he did. But, but giving words of encouragement, that wasn't his big strength. Um, and uh, it's a thing that we should look to do to each other in the body of Christ. And if you're a parent for your kids, encourage them see their own individuality and what God has gifted them in and encourage them in those things. As Paul was talking to the church, he goes like, those, those are the things that I want to do. I want to exhort you. I want to encourage you. And then, and then I want to charge you. That's not like run you over and bury you in the ground. That, that kind of charge you. It's charge you so that they would have a vision for where they're going. They would have a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. They would have a desire to follow after him. Moms and dads, that's our responsibility with our kids. People of God, that's our responsibility with each other. And how are we doing that in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we come down to the last part of the chapter. And uh, after we've seen the example of Paul's character and these two quality of things in Paul's character, now we take a look at the results in God's people. Look at verse 13. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the words of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. You received the word. You received the word. You received the word. Not as words of man, because with words of man, you can just set us aside. But as the words of God. So the things that Jesus Christ had taught, the things that he had said, the word of God, it gets raised up there. If it was just the words of man, you could just set it aside. It doesn't matter. The, this book is not the words of man. This book is the words of God. And he said, you received it like that. When you, when you hear the word, you're like, this is God speaking to us. This is God speaking to us. It's not some guy's opinion. It's not what we might just think about something. This is God's holy word. And it can't be just set aside because God said it. You received it. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the word, that's Jesus Christ, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This whole book points towards Jesus Christ. From Genesis 1 to the end of the book of Revelation, it's all about the focus on Jesus Christ. And it says, you received it. You received it. Uh, they received the word and lived it out in the truth, but they received the word, Jesus Christ, as well. They came to that place. The word gospel is used over and over again in this text. What's that? The good news of Jesus Christ. You received it. 
You received it. Do you remember that day you received it? Maybe you were four or six or eight or 10 or 12 or 25 or 40 or 60 and, and you came to the place of understanding what Christ had done and the good news of the gospel and the offer of eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord and, and you received it. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Because that's all you had to do. You couldn't work for it. You didn't deserve it. You came to understand, I'm a wretch. I'm a mess. I can't fix this problem. God fixed the problem in Jesus Christ. And you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, and you are saved. You received it. Have you done that? Are you here today? Have you, have you put your trust in Christ? Is, is your hope in who you are and what you think you're going to do? Or is your hope in Jesus Christ alone? Is your focus on what he's doing and how he's working? Put your trust in Christ and be saved today. You received, you received the word. You accepted the good news of Jesus Christ. And they learned so much from him. And so this picture of the word, and I want to very quickly go through some things, but the effectiveness of God's word. Here's some things for you real quickly. What does God's word do? Well, God's word is living and powerful. It's able to discern. You read God's word and you watch what it does and the conviction in your own heart and your own life because that's what God's word can do. God's word produces faith as we hear it or read it. It, it enables us to develop a faith in our hearts because that's what God's word does. It has the power to save us, Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation. It's the power to save us. The Word of God causes us to be born again. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23, but in the middle of that, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. That's what God's Word does. That's why we receive it. We receive it because it's key to our spiritual growth. Just as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of God's Word, it says that they may grow thereby, 1 Peter 2, 2. God's word helps us to overcome Satan, the temptation in your life, the pressures you're feeling, the desires you have to take your eyes off the Lord and go for what you want instead of what God wants. When Jesus faced those things, what did he do? He quoted the scriptures. He knew the word of God. And when Satan's tentacles were reaching down to try and destroy what God was doing, Jesus Christ quoted scripture. Why? Because God's word protects us. It protects us. It helps us to overcome Satan. And here's one more. God's word, God's word is the power to sanctify. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in truth, for your word is truth. You want to grow up in Christ? You're not going to read, grow up in Christ primarily by reading a book on how to be a better Christian. You're not going to grow up in Christ by sitting around a table and just talking to other believers about whatever other believers talk about. You grow up in Jesus Christ when you are in the truth. And that can be around a table with other believers. And that can be reading a book. But is it coming from the book? It's the word of God that sanctifies us. And we need to spend more and more time in this book and less and less time in other books so that we get our focus on who God is and what he desires from us. And I just love that when he said in the text, um, we also thank God constantly. That when you received the word which you heard, you accepted it. Not as the word of man, but the word of God. 
And then Paul finishes up here by um, saying, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. In the, the last couple of verses, 14 to 16, he talks about how you're like the, 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 the church or the, the Christians in Judea. Um, and he talks about the Jews. He talks about how the Jews killed the Lord Jesus Christ, how they killed their prophets, how they persecuted the apostles, how they displeased God in what they do. And he goes, and, and, and they, the, in Judea, they're up against this, and you're up against it. You, you receive the Lord in spite of severe suffering. Remember, we talked about last, last week, the, the grape that's ready to burst. That's the kind of stuff that's going to be there for followers of Christ. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be just how you want it. It's going to be how God wants it. And Paul wasn't being anti-Semitic here. You need to remember, he was saved out of being a blasphemer and being a persecutor of the church. He's just telling the folks, hey folks, you received the word is from the word. I want to be an example to you because it's not going to be easy. If we're going to make our stand for the Lord, it's not going to be easy. So let's live for his glory. Let's live for his fame. Let's let him work. Well, so what? Remember, this is not a message only about Paul and his example in leading to influence change in, the Thess in Thessalonica. It's equally a message about how God can use you and me to be examples leading to change in the lives of people around us. So I wrote this paragraph this week and read this in closing. How much better it would be if we all served one another as Paul served the Thessalonians with boldness and truth, with a pure motive and seeking to please God and not man without flattery or greed or seeking glory from men but in humility, laboring night and day seeking to be devout, just, and blameless with the, the gentleness and affection of a nursing mother and the guidance and encouragement of a caring father. The apostle Paul indeed is a preacher worthy of imitation. As Christians, we would do well to heed his admonitions as found in another place where he said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the strength of your word. Thank you for these people who, when they heard the word of God, they received it, not as words of man, but as words of God. And so, Lord, you have preserved this book for us so that we can learn, we can grow in the example Lord, not to be discouraged if we, we see things in our lives that aren't right, but, Father, to repent in those things and get those things right and continue on the trek to be sanctified in truth because your word is truth. Grow us up, Lord, as Paul was an example to the church, that we would be examples to the church and others around us for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.